0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Everyday Mental Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. On today's episode, I am joined by Kim Kimball. She is a life coach that helps ambitious women have thriving relationships with partners, friends, family, and coworkers by healing codependency. In the episode, we dive into her background, specifically around complex PTSD and developmental trauma. And then later in the episode, we talk about hyperindependence. It's a really great episode, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background? Yeah,
1: sure. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. I am um, really happy to be here. So my background, um, let's see. I think the best place to start is that growing up, I had um, a family member with addiction in the home from the time that I was nine years old um, onwards up into my 20s. And I didn't know that this was my way of coping with it at the time, um, but I became sort of your classic overachiever. I, you know, made straight A's in school, went to a top college. I ended up going on from there to get my doctorate um, in physical therapy. So doctorate level education, kind of doing everything that I quote unquote should and being a good girl, you know, always crossing every T, dotting every I. and you know, at some point I ended up waking up and saying, well, I did everything I should, why am I still not satisfied? You know, why do I still feel, um, like something is missing in my life and I don't really feel super alive. And I ended up in a relationship with a man that I thought I was going to get married to. And I think, and again, this was all subconscious at the time, but I think in my head, I thought, okay, once I get married, Then I'll be happy. Once I get married and I have kids and I sort of check more of these boxes that I hadn't checked yet, um, then I'll be happy. And that relationship didn't end up working out. And that was the huge wake up call for me, where a lot of things crumbled. And I realized that I needed to be the one to save myself, that I needed to be the one to create the life that I actually wanted to live in. Um, and that nobody else was going to do it for me and not reaching, you know, some external metric that wasn't going to be the thing that brought me the satisfaction and really the life that I craved. And so at that point in time, I ended up quitting my job, backpacking around the world by myself for four months. Um, and I got really super clear on what I actually wanted in my life, what I wanted, what I didn't want. And when I came back home, I ended up, um, actually shortly thereafter meeting my now husband, starting a relationship with him and um, starting getting my coaching certification, which was a year long sort of intensive process. And as I started to coach, it felt like so many things clicked into place in in my life. And I just realized my life purpose in this really beautiful way um, and started on this much more holistic and deep healing journey of myself and simultaneously starting my business and um, completing my coaching certification. And, and that's sort of how I've ended up and landed where, where I am today. And, you know, being happily married and a happy, committed partnership and um, having the business that I have today.
0: That's great. Oh my gosh. I love the trajectory of your journey. It's really cool when you play it out in terms of, I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially, you know, folks who listen to this podcast to being like the overachievers and the perfectionists Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of going through life, feeling like you have to check off certain boxes. I know certainly I did that. And then, you know, you kind of just get to a point where you're like this Nothing I do, nothing, no checkbox is gonna make me happy at the end of the day. So it's not
1: working, yeah.
0: No, it's not. Um, and I think it's I mean, it makes sense from a, a trauma level too, of like there's probably this overcompensation because there was um like addiction in the family and things like that. Um yeah. And so that is something that I do want to dive into too. Um, So I know that you've talked about having complex PTSD and developmental trauma. And so I was wondering if you could talk about that and also how you've learned to create inner safety within yourself. Yeah, I, I love that you
1: frame it in the way of learning how to create inner safety within myself, because that literally is the. Biggest game changer, I would say, and in my entire life. But to speak first to complex PTSD and developmental trauma, um, they kind of go hand in hand. But complex PTSD, you know, when you think of PTSD, you can sort of think of—I don't know—at least for me, I think of um, war veterans or people like that that have this, or or you know, rape victims or things like that, where there's this one defining moment. Um, where you have flashbacks to, and um, it's it's one defining moment in time that you have post-traumatic stress from. And with complex PTSD, the best way I've heard it explained and described in a way that really made sense to my own lived experience is that with complex PTSD, there's no point of safety that you can go back to in your mind because it's been going on for so long that that the, the, your normal is that post-traumatic stress. Um, I literally, you know, since everything was going on so long since I was nine years old and there was so much chaos in my home, really my entire childhood was washed away with it. There, there isn't these frame of reference for me of a point of safety to return to, um, because that chaos and that Addiction in my home was the normal for me for so long. And obviously, the same thing with developmental trauma. Developmental trauma is just repeated, ongoing trauma, um, really, in your formative years, in your childhood years. And the reason that's such a big deal is it's the, the time in our life where our whole identity is formed. So when your identity is formed in the midst of this ongoing and complex um, trauma, it really shapes and forms the way that you experience the world and the filter and the lens through which you experience the world. Um, So really, you know, for me, learning how to create that inner safety within myself, especially since I am not somebody who experienced it from a very, very young age really learning to reparent myself essentially and provide that inner safety for myself has been the biggest um, thing that I have seen to shift how I feel and how I operate both within myself and in my relationships in a really major way. Um, and I would say that there have been five different pillars of things that have created that internal safety within myself. So The first thing is somatic therapy, and I just cannot sing the praises of somatic therapy enough um, because for people like myself who have experienced trauma, when you go into talk therapy, you can actually be (laughs) re-traumatized. That can be something that is re-traumatizing yourself over and over again to talk about these traumatic events, and instead, when you actually move from intellectualizing everything um, to, to tapping into it more on a body level. So, so, somatic equals body level. So soma just equals the body, um, changing from intellectualizing it and trying to understand it on a, on an intellectual capacity. And instead moving into how to process it on a body-based level, um, really shifted things for me so greatly. It helped me to learn how to feel, the good and not just the bad, and, and also obviously to, to not just be numb to a lot of things, um, and be numbed out. So working with a qualified somatic therapist was something that was really game changing for me. Um, another thing, the second pillar is nervous system regulation. So to me, the somatic therapy and the nervous system regulation go hand in hand, but for somebody who has experienced, you know, complex PTSD, developmental trauma, Um, For me specifically, I would sort of undulate between being stuck in chronic fight or flight response and also chronic freeze responses. I I literally didn't know how to access that rest and digest state. Um, And the rest and digest state is where we are able to um, have those interpersonal reactions where we can feel open, where we can um, play, where we can rest, where we can have fun. And I wasn't able to access any of those places. So um, nervous system regulation really helped me to actually feel safe and safety because for somebody who's had to be hypervigilant for a really, really long time, um, safety can actually feel super alarming because I'm like, oh my God, what am I missing? Right? Right. What am I, uh, what's going to come down the pike that is going to end up harming me? I have to stay on um, edge in order to protect myself. So safety for people who have had complex developmental and and complex developmental trauma can actually feel very disarming. So learning how to regulate your nervous system and work with your nervous system is something that is super, super important. Um, The third pillar for creating that internal uh, safety is emotional regulation. So just learning to have awareness around what I'm feeling, what my emotions are, why they're there, learning how to validate them for myself instead of shaming myself for them or pretending like they aren't there or labeling some emotions as bad or wrong, Um, learning that I'm not my emotions, that I can separate myself from them. I can be an observer of my emotions and really allowing them to run through me instead of stuffing them really learning how to speak the language of my body and the language of these emotions and understand that each one is a valuable messenger and what is it trying to say to me you know really getting in tune with that whole internal emotional landscape um and in turn really when you're going into relating with others as well the the wonderful byproduct of doing that is then i'm no longer projecting and blaming onto my partner And onto other people. I'm no longer sort of blowing up and reacting. I'm able to respond instead of react when I learn this emotional regulation. Um, The next pillar, number four, is self responsibility. So, under this, I really put learning to have healthy boundaries, which is a huge game changer for internal safety for me, because before I learned healthy boundaries, really, it felt like everyone else and and their wants and their needs and their desires were what was controlling my life. And I was out of control and I didn't have control over my own life. So learning how to speak up for myself, learning how to communicate my wants and my needs and learning to not have shame around that, um, exercising my own power to choose and my own power to create the life that I want And just knowing that I have my own back and that I will be able to get myself out of situations that aren't good for me um, really does so much to create uh, an internal safety. And the last pillar, number five, is healing codependency and moving into um, sovereignty for myself. Stopping basing my life around others' perceptions of me, um, how, you know, stopping basing it around well, if everyone else is okay, then I'm okay. I can only be okay if everyone else is pleased with me, if everybody else's emotions are fine and regulated. Um, Instead, learning really to take responsibility for me, knowing where I begin and others end and being rooted and grounded really into my own um, true identity. So, those have been the five things that have been the most healing for me and creating a sense of internal safety that have been game changers for me in my life.
0: Yeah, I can. And I can imagine it took years and years and years of work. And also probably to, you know, I'm, I'm sure you did some work around this, but also like healing your inner child when you mentioned mm-hmm. self-parenting. Um, yeah. So was that part of the, the process too?
1: Oh, a thousand percent. And, and a lot of that goes underneath the emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm dealing with emotional regulation, either with myself or with my clients, um, there's a lot of that reparenting sort of built into that. And that's that validating my emotions, um, learning to be with my emotions, all of that reparenting. Um, I mean, I I could say that it falls under each of those five pillars. Um, the reparenting piece is so important, but Uh, particularly under emotional regulation, it's very present.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love too, that you bring up um, a different form of therapy. You know, we've certainly talked a lot about like exposure therapy, CBT, DBT on this podcast, Um, but we really haven't talked much about somatic, Mm. which I think is a great perspective too, for those healing from trauma and who have PTSD, because like you said, sometimes that intellectualizing And I've even had conversations with folks in my personal life and, you know, I've tried talking to them about going to talk therapy, but they're like, I just can't keep reliving it. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, there's, there is something to that, you know? Yeah. A thousand percent.
1: And for people who have um, the, you know, trauma really of any kind. And for me, the definition of trauma is just something that happened, That exceeded your ability to cope with it. You know, it doesn't have to be um, these huge things like rape or war or um, even something like addiction in my family, like what I experienced. It can be much smaller things that just exceeded your ability to cope. Um, it doesn't have to be the capital T trauma. It can be little T traumas. And, and still all the same, we have found so much research and so much more success with, with really integrating. And I personally, and this is the way that I work with my clients, um, I think there's benefit to both working a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So what I mean by top-down is working with your the cognitive-based tex- techniques cognitive behavioral techniques, and then the bottom being the body, um, but also the body up and it's meant to function together. And so when we can weave those things and those modalities um, and those tools and techniques together, I just see a lot more breakthrough with people a lot more quickly um, because we are meant to be integrated beings. We're not meant to, to have this divide Um, like Western culture would like us to have between the body and the mind there, there really is no divide.
0: I know. And I feel like it's starting to catch on. I mean, it has, you know, I think over the past decade and so forth, but I mean, you'll still go to your doctor and I mean, I wouldn't get me started. It drives me crazy. (laughs) I know they're like, oh, you're having all these symptoms. And it's like, you know, for example, it's like, oh, I'm tired. And it's like, they're like, well, are you exercising and, you know, eating healthy, all that stuff. And it's like, well, come to find out like you're mourning the death of a loved one, or you're going through a really stressful time in your relationship. And so it's, you know, all these underpinnings that, you know, it's just, the medical profession just isn't trained in that way. And I have these conversations with my mom all the time because she's a, she's a nurse. And so she's gone through that, but she also has very much the understanding of the mental health stuff. Cause her and I have had those conversations. I've had my own struggles and my sister, you know, she's, she's had um, her own struggles. So, you know, it's interesting. And, um, there's just no kind of like, clear cut way of like integrating it. Um, but I'm hoping. not in our
1: current medical model, you know, the, the interesting thing is I'm also a doctor of physical therapy. So I very Mm -hmm. much have my foot in that world. Um, and it's very frustrating as somebody who, like you said, like your mom understands the mental health component and how that is manifesting into the physical. And unfortunately, you know, our current medical model just doesn't doesn't allow for things like that. And it's really, really unfortunate. But as you said, I think that there are more and more practitioners that have a greater understanding of this and are moving in that direction. And we can find those
0: people out there. Um, but yeah, I feel like we got to get on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I so agree. I uh, yeah. yeah, there definitely needs to be a little more overlap there. So I was scrolling through your Instagram like last week when I was preparing for this interview and. Something, a post I came across and I kept going back to was about hyper-independence. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting, I, you know, being in the mental health space and in the profession and so forth, I've heard this term, but more so from like coaches and people who have personal lived experience. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's also, it interrelates with trauma. I would love to have you unpack it a little bit and like just kind of shed light because I think there are a lot of people out there who definitely struggle from this, what we call hyper but they don't understand that it actually is rooted in some trauma as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think hyper independence is something that is talked about a lot. And quite frankly, Amanda, I think that a lot of the reason for that is because it's something that's applauded in our culture, mm-hmm. especially in America. You know, I think about we're just kind of like the land of hyper independence. Um, everything is applauded, You're you're you are applauded for being independent and for having no needs, right? Um, and, you know, I'll just, it's always easiest to use myself and my own story. Cause obviously I have license to talk about myself. Um, but th- a lot of the reason this came about for me is, you know, again, with addiction in my home, I felt that if I were to have any needs that, that I would be taking away attention and care from the very place that it was the most needed and then if I were to heap more needs on top of all of these gaping needs that were there in our home, it would be like the straw that broke the camel's back. And of course, all of this wasn't explicitly stated. It was very implicit. It was something that I, as a child, internalized and kind of like made note of, right? Of like, oh, right. I can't have any needs because it would be too much to put needs in this environment. And so what ended up happening with that is I, I got really, really, really hyper independent. And what that looks like, just to describe it for your listeners, just so that, you know, again, because it's not a term that, that a lot of people talk about, um, but it's this, this almost this feeling that you can't have any needs and that you don't want to be a burden and that you don't want to have to depend on anyone or anything and that you need to be independent at all costs. And so how do we really heal from that? Well, first of all, I want to say too is that I kind of view codependency and hyperindependence as two flip sides of the same exact coin. So a lot of times people will be codependent and then they will swing, the pendulum will swing to hyper-independence as sort of like a quote-unquote, Corrective measure, but you're you're going too far. You're going too far the other direction. That pendulum is swinging really, really far. Um, And in the middle is interdependence, which I believe is what all humans were created for. So, how to really move into that interdependence and how to heal from hyper independence, how to work through it. Um, The first thing that I would say is that we just really have to get comfortable. With having needs as simply a part of being human, you know that it's not this dirty thing. It's it doesn't mean you're failing in some way. It doesn't mean um, that you're not enough because you need some support. You know, I think in our culture we can really look at it as some sort of like internal failure if we have needs. But really, getting to understand that that having needs is part of the human condition. It is just part of being human. And that it's literally impossible to not have needs. The only time you're not going to have needs is when you're dead. You know that's just the reality of the situation. Um, Again, knowing that interdependence and having in mind that interdependence is what we are created for. We are as part of the human race. We're very social creatures, and we're meant to depend on one, one another. We're meant to support each other. I think you know, most of the listeners would probably agree of like, it feels, it feels awesome to support another person. It feels great to lend that support and lend your gift and your skills and what you have to offer to another person. Right. Um, and so you being able to state your needs is actually a gift to that other person to be able to support you and, and kind of lean on each other. Right. Um, the other thing that I would say, around how to end up healing this a little bit more is starting to raise awareness around what have ma- what maybe has made you uncomfortable with having support, with interdependence, with having needs in your own personal story, right? Um, sometimes that will be conscious for people and other times it won't. You know, I just went into naming a little bit of my own and hopefully that helps jog people's um, memory and thought process on their own of like, where did you internalize those stories and those narratives in your life? Um, and maybe it's not in childhood for you. Maybe it, maybe it's in um, your teen years or even in your 20s or later on in your life. Um, certainly doesn't have to be necessarily in your childhood. But where did you internalize some of these stories and narratives that you're not allowed to have needs and you're not allowed to depend on anyone in any way? Um, the next thing is tuning into your nervous system and to actually begin to learn to feel safety in the context of relationship. So for people who have been stuck in hyper-independence for a really long time, um, feeling, they, they likely don't feel safety in the context of relationship at all. Actually, it would likely feel very activating to their nervous system. Um, and to be quite transparent for the first couple of years of my marriage, I was in this state of, of my nervous system being really activated because I'm this closely linked to another human. And it was really, really, really uncomfortable for me. And it's something that I had to work on, on a nervous system level. Um, so doing some exercises, like, um, again, I, I, I gravitate towards somatic and body-based exercises, but for, for me, for example, during that time, it can be, I'm sitting on the couch and my husband is holding my hand And I consciously allow my body to soften and to feel the safety in that and to allow myself to feel the love and support from this person, this human that I'm connected with Um, and allowing that in consciously instead of having, you know, before, before then I may have felt really closed off and my body would have felt tense and it's consciously softening into that and allowing myself to actually feel the safety of that moment um, that my husband is holding my hand, for example. Another thing is just starting to express your needs and allowing yourself to be supported in small ways with safe people that you trust and just continuing to widen your window little by little. You know, So I, I never recommend with my clients that they start with these really huge asks, um, but but just simple things like, can I have a hug? I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like I really could use a hug right now. Would you be willing to give me a hug? You know, something that simple. I know this can sound funny, but if we aren't used to asking for our needs to be met um, in these situations, starting small again and allowing your nervous system to feel that it's safe to ask for that support and to receive that support is everything. So those are just a few tips on, Um, hyper-independence. And I'm happy to dive into anything um, else around it that you may have questions about.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a really great point. And that's kind of like what made me recognize hyper-independence and this asking for needs. And I have a huge like uncomfortability around it. Like, and I mean, it's something I've worked through over the years with my own therapist. Um, But it's also like when you're sensitive to, and then, you know, you sometimes will like take things personally. If someone in that moment, like, doesn't want to give you a hug, it's like, that's, you know, it's not reflective of the whole situation or whatever. So there's definitely like a lot of healing that comes from it. And that's, it's interesting how you noted how with hyperindependence sometimes like, um, the codependence, they swing in that mm. direction versus the, um, inner dependence. Yes, that, yes, yes. Um, is more of a balance. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting kind of how, how the brain and, and the body does that. Um, Yeah. And so I know you work with um, different types of people in your coaching practice, but do you tend to specialize in certain areas if anyone is listening out there and they might be interested in working with you?
1: Yeah. So I specifically help women, ambitious women have thriving relationships with partners, with family, with friends, with coworkers, clients, really all of their relationships through healing codependency and people People pleasing patterns of relating. Um, and as you can tell just by this podcast, I use both somatic and cognitive behavioral techniques for a more holistic approach to healing so that women can return to a place of power, a place of sovereignty in their life, and um, really harmonious connection that flows from that.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I so love that. And typically, how long do clients work with you? Is it ongoing basis? Is there kind of like a time structure? Yeah. So I work on a subscription model
1: and Mm -hmm. I do a three month minimum commitment. And then after that point in time, we can continue to go however long until you feel like the goals that we set out at the beginning of our time together are met. Um, and you feel like you've reached a satisfactory level for you, but that three months is the minimum time commitment. Um, I will typically meet with people twice a month for Mm -hmm. those three months. And then if they want to continue, there's an option to continue at that time.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's definitely like that the whole 90 days or three months to really kind of dive in and, and really, you know, I think sometimes the perception out there is, you know, you go once or twice to therapy or once or twice to coaching and it's, it takes time, you know, you mm. went through years of trauma, years of, you know, maybe codependency and the, it's nothing's going to be undone in like one or two sessions. So yeah, um, precisely. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, through your coaching practice, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything less than three months because, you know, it, it takes time. And I'm sure a lot of your clients end up extending to. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So for anyone out there interested in potentially working with you and learning more about your work, where can they find you? So, two places. The first one is my own
1: website, and that is just kimkimballcoaching.com. And my last name, Kimball, is spelled K I M B A L L. And then my Instagram handle is the same, Kim Kimball Coaching. And that is where I really hang out and
0: spend most of my, my time. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I will definitely link everything in the show notes. So anyone listening can easily find your website and your Instagram. Uh, But I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Amanda. It was a pleasure.